of God. And what we hope to teach you throughout this series is that your individual growth, what God is growing in you, has a direct correlation to how God grows the church, how God grows the kingdom of God. And so being made to share, being able to live the heart of God, we've learned that it requires us to value what God values. And God values all people. God is for you, not against you, right? God is for everyone. But the question is, are we for God? Are we for everyone in our lives? And do we know God's heart in order to live it? And so the invitation is that when we do draw close to God, that God is is growing us, God is doing something in us before God does something through us. And so we learn that, that idea and that correlation that, that we grow the kingdom of God when we share what God has grown in us. We cannot give what we don't have. And so that's the invitation is that if we want to see God's kingdom grow, we have to be willing to grow. And it's profoundly simple. It's really basic things. How do we engage in God in prayer? How do we engage with the Bible and Scripture and, and reading that? How do we engage in, in serving others? There's not a, a whole lot to the life of faith, but God does amazing things when we devote ourselves to that. And that's what we saw, right? Last week, we got to see what this looked like. The early church, the, the disciples, they devoted themselves to God doing many of those same things. And God began to do amazing things within them in order to do amazing things through them. And so what they were able to do is that they were able to share what God had grown in them in order to make a difference, to make an impact in the community that was around them. And we want to have that that same heart. And this morning, we're going to look at a different kind of story. It's actually uh, an event during Jesus' ministry. Some of you might be familiar with this story. Um, Others of you might not. If you were with us last year, we actually did a whole series just on this one story. And we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000. And so if you are familiar with the story already, we'll we'll read it in just a minute. But it's miraculous, right? And I think we, we mostly attribute it, the, the miraculousness to the, the impossible math that sort of happens, uh, uh, that unfolds within this story, right? But I think there, there's a miracle in, in, in showing us the power of what happens when we share, right? And, and it becomes the symbol and really it becomes the embodiment uh, of the kingdom of God itself, Jesus demonstrates what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like and what is possible when we give ourselves over to God, even if it's a little bit, even if it's something small, God is able to take something simple and make it significant. And even when other people want to say that, that it's, it's insignificant or it's even meaningless, right? God is able to make those things into a miracle, And so we hope to encourage you this morning. We hope that this story and and what we talk about this morning, what we teach you, is is that it will be relevant for you and it will be relevant for your walk with God. And so where we're going to start, the the passage that we're going to be reading 
Um, at least this version of it is going to come from the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, we invite you to, to bring those continuously, right? Open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, guess what? We have free Bibles. They're awesome. We're giving them away because we believe it's important for y'all to be engaged in Scripture. And I know many of you have smartphones and apps and all that, so you can bust those out if you want. Um, but you can also, if you have none of those things, follow along with us on the screen. So that's John Chapter 6, that's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. And this is what it says. It says, After this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea, that is the Tiberias Sea, and a large crowd had followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and he sat there with his disciples. And it was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. And Jesus looked up and he saw a large crowd coming toward him. And he asked Philip, where will we buy food for these people? Jesus said this to test him. For he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to even have a little bit. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down, because there was plenty of grass there, and they sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. And he did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. And when they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled baskets, 12 baskets, with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by all those who had eaten. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And everyone said, thanks be to God. There's so many lessons to, to learn in this one passage, uh, but it, by all accounts, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable story. And again, it's remarkable because I believe Jesus is able to do something significant with something so simple. And as I was reading this passage, I love how, how Jesus begins his interaction with his disciples. When I read it, It sounded a little bit like Jesus was kind of trolling the disciples, right? He's kind of egging them on, right? The passage says that that Jesus already knew what what Philip was going to say and what he was going to do. And he kind of intentionally set him up, right? It's almost like like what dads do, right, to their kids. I feel like all dads are notorious for this. They're just like messing with their kids. So Jesus, I feel like, is kind of messing with the, the disciples a little bit, but... I think what Jesus does first and foremost throughout this entire passage is that Jesus defies the disciples' expectations twice. He defies their expectations twice. The first time that Jesus defies their expectations is the fact that Jesus actually expects the disciples to do something about their situation. Jesus expects them to do something about their situation. And and we see the reaction, right? That, that the disciples weren't expecting this to be Jesus' response at all. In fact, 
if we're maybe giving them a little bit of grace, right? The, the, the disciples, they seem to scoff at the idea, like Jesus can't be serious. He's, he's out of his mind or he's gone crazy. Uh, you got to be kidding, right? But what this shows, what it reinforces is that the disciples had already made up their minds about what was possible. They had already made up their minds. And, and this is why Jesus was testing them. Not necessarily to troll them, even though it sounds like it, but to see how they would respond to a seemingly impossible task. And you know, when, when Philip responds, I don't think Philip was exaggerating when he's sort of running the math. He's doing the numbers, right? He says that half a year's salary is not to feed everyone well, but it's barely enough for everyone even to have just a little bit. That's what's before them. That's the gap. That's the impossible task that Jesus is asking them to meet and to fulfill, right? And so even when Philip responds in this way, Philip wasn't wrong, but, but Jesus wasn't testing his estimation skills, right? Jesus was testing his heart. And I think this is what Jesus does with all of us. And even with the disciples over and over and over again, is that Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be around forever, at least in this sense, in this capacity. And so what he was doing is he was trying to train his disciples to have the right mindset, right? To have the right heart. Do you know the heart of my father? Are you trying to solve this situation with your strength or with my strength? If I'm being honest, I, I really think we all have that kind of reflex, right? God presents some sort of opportunity before us, and we kind of just jump in automatically, ready to, to figure it out, to make it happen, right? That's our, our knee-jerk response. We try to solve it or work through it in our own strength. And, and God wants to partner with us, and, and what Jesus is trying to teach us is to say, hold on a second. That's great that you have that enthusiasm, and, and, and guess what? You do have those gifts and graces, but you can't do it without me. you got to pause for a minute. You have to seek first the kingdom of God like we've been talking about. You have to seek first God's heart. Make sure that your intentions are the same as my intention, that your will is my will, right? Because are we going to let God reveal to us that there might be a, a, a path through this, this challenge, this opportunity that we might not even be considering or that we might not even think is possible. And you know what? God does use things that we do think of, right? But the point is this, is that before we do anything, we seek first the kingdom. We, fir we seek first God's heart. And this is when Jesus defies the disciples' expectations a second time. Jesus takes something simple and he makes it significant, right? The story sort of pivots. He was talking to Philip for a second and then all of a sudden, in the heat of the moment, Andrew chimes in, right? Brother of Simon Peter. And he sort of seems like he possibly is going to try to problem solve, maybe not. But it becomes more and more clear that he's just as paralyzed as Philip is about this whole situation. And just to make a point, Andrew makes this comment in verse 9. He says, a youth ha is here, and he has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for 
a crowd like this? Pretty pessimistic, right? Pretty, maybe even sarcastic. But who knows, you know, Andrew's just trying to be real, trying to be maybe even pragmatic. But instead of of telling the disciples the solution, Jesus shows them, like he often does. And I think Jesus is making, excuse me, his own point. Because Andrew had already disregarded what was available. Andrew already disregarded what was available, but Jesus ended up using what had been disregarded to do something remarkable. Isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't that what the gospel is about? God takes broken things and he, and he transforms them and he makes them beautiful. He, he takes weakness and, and somehow he makes that into strength and he takes things that people have disregarded, people that have been disregarded, and he uses them. He gives them purpose and value. It reminds me of that, that hymn of amazing grace, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, but amazing grace that also uses me to do God's will, to do God's work. I think Jesus is trying to show us and teach us to not disregard anything, especially other people, and especially yourself. Especially yourself. How many of us discount ourselves or disqualify ourselves? When God has already qualified us through Jesus. We're, we're still part of that, that old flesh, right? But through Jesus, we're, we're made into something new. Something that God has intended for us and, and to live into abundantly. That's God's promise to us. And, and yet we withhold from God. We withhold from ourselves. We disqualify ourselves when God has already qualified us through Jesus Christ. And so if this is true, how can we begin to have an expectant heart? How can we have an expectant posture when it comes to God? Do we believe that God can do something and will do something with someone as messed up and as broken as me? Are we willing to believe that? Because Jesus does that very thing. Jesus invites us broken people to be a part of something. And we look at ourselves and we say, just like Andrew, but what good can come from that? What good will that do? It it doesn't make sense. It defies all of our expectations. But what Jesus ends up doing is that Jesus shows the disciples what good can come from this youth. What good Jesus can do with the youth. Look at what good Jesus can do with a Tyler, right? And I believe that that Jesus cannot wait to show people what Jesus can do with you. He cannot wait to show people what he can do with you. And so the encouragement is to not deny ourselves what God has already promised us, what God expects of us. Let's not be caught off guard, blindsided, 
Often that's just how it happens. That's how it works is we, we always seem to be missing it. But God is good and God is gracious and God continues to invite us deeper and deeper. What if we began to expect it? Because Jesus does. What if we began to believe all of these things about God? And what would happen if we began to believe all of these things about ourselves? That God claims about us, that God proclaims about us. That God is able to, to take something or someone that, that we have written off, even if it's ourselves, and God uses it to make a miracle. To do what only God can do to make a positive impact in the world. And so as we think about this idea of being made to share, you have something to share. And so I want to encourage you this morning that instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have and do it with God. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have and do it with God. Don't minimize what you have that God can use to help feed people. To feed them practically or to, or to feed them spiritually. To, to feed them hope, value, significance, importance. To feed them purpose and love. Resist the idea that what I can give won't make a difference. It won't have an impact. Jesus was using what the youth had given to help everyone. 5,000 people, and that was an estimation, to experience the kingdom of God. To experience this, this kingdom of sharing. And so whatever you consider to be meaningless or whatever you consider to be meaningless about yourself... God can make into a miracle. Whatever you think is useless, God uses. It's, it's incredible. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing letters to the early church, he ends up boasting about his weakness. He says that, that I boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, I am made strong. Now that doesn't make any sense, but, but what he's talking about is that he's saying, when I am weak, and when I give myself over to God for God's purposes, I am made strong. God makes me strong. God uses me to influence people, to bless people, to help people, to serve them, to impact them, to love them. God can use our weakness. And God does use our weaknesses. Don't take that for granted. Don't disregard those things. I hope this morning that you will let Jesus defy your expectations. I hope that you will let Jesus defy your expectations. That God would remove any of those, those burdens, any of those lies that you believe about yourself, or maybe that even other people tell you about yourself. And God has told you something totally different. Let God defy your expectations. Because God expects us to do something. God expects us to serve people. Even if it looks impossible, the calling that, that God has given us is impossible. 
but God does it with us. Through all things with God, the possible becomes possible. And the next thing is that, is that Jesus is going to use you to do it. He's going to use all of us. We have to do this together. Jesus uses each and every one of you. He's going to use something or someone simple and make them significant. God is going to make you strong. When we submit, when we, when we know that we are weak. But that we're not abandoned to that identity. But in fact, we are made for so much more. We are made to share. And so I think the big idea for us this morning is that made to share means that realizing your part can help feed somebody. Your part can help feed somebody. I think this is the lesson that that Jesus is, is teaching us. Through, through the testing of the disciples, right? This hit me like a ton of bricks. You can't feed everybody by yourself. But that doesn't disqualify you from feeding somebody. Does everybody ever feel that way? I have to get everything perfect and in order in order to do just one good thing. And God's called us to this impossible task and, and I'm seeing the forest for the trees and, and I'm getting overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. And God just saying, just give me what you have. I'm going to continue to grow something in you so that I can grow something through you. I can grow the church through you if you're willing. You can't feed everybody, but that doesn't disqualify you from feeding somebody. Feed somebody with what you already have or with what God gives you and what God grows in you. That's what we've been talking about. God grows something in you to grow the kingdom. Maybe what we all need, maybe what we all need in order to do God's will, it's already within us or it's within someone else. And so what if all we need to do is to encourage each other to let God use us, to let God use each other, be willing to to share what God is doing and do it together. Amen? Amen. As I was praying and reflecting this week and and just thinking about life in general and, and, and what we've been learning since the beginning of the year, about what, what does it mean to take the next step of faith? Where is God leading me? What does it mean for me to be made to share? And, and we emphasized last week again, if we're not praying, start praying. If we're not reading the Bible, start reading the Bible. If we're not serving, start serving. Start doing something so that God can do something in you and that God can do something through you. And grow the church. And grow our heart of God. And, and when I began thinking more about this, the, the passage in Ephesians, the first chapter, it's verses 17 through 19. I want you to hear these words 
but I also want you to let them be your prayer, even for this week, even as you're considering what God might be stirring up in your heart or in your life. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. This is his prayer, right? He says this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he would just do a couple things. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. God is going to help you know God better through his son Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he continues in his prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. They might be opened in order that you know the hope in which he has called you. We've all been called into this glorious hope of new life and resurrection. May we know that hope. May it be alive and may it bring about richness, abundantness. That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The people who are devoted to God and to God's will. And that you would know his incomparably great power. You would know God's power, which is incomparable to anything else that we have either known or that we even rely on today. That we would know his incomparably great power for, for those of us who believe. That, that's my prayer for y'all. That we would begin to believe this stuff. And when we believe, when we grow close to God, God begins to enlighten our hopes. Or, uh, enlighten our hearts to the hope that we are called to share, that we are made to share. Amen? Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for another, another Sunday, God, in which we get to hear your truth, we get to proclaim it, but God, we, we ask that it is so deeply into our hearts, God, that nothing would rob us from that truth, God, that it would not rob us from the value that you have claimed and proclaimed over us, oh God. That we all have something to give, God. You desire for all of us to be full participants in the work that you have called us to do as your disciples. So God, no matter where we are, God, will we resist the lies? God, that we will resist the, the weight, the burden that disqualifies us. God, when, when your son, Jesus Christ, has died for us to free us from those burdens, to free us from those lies, and to qualify us. To take people who are simple, people who are undeserving, people who are broken and do remarkable things, God. To do miraculous things in the name of Jesus for the sake of your kingdom, God. That we would be blessed to be a blessing. That we would not withhold from people, but that we would give as you give. So God, we thank you. We, we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.